to Acts chapter 16. We're going to conclude our study tonight in the book of Acts by looking at Acts 16 verses 11 through 24. I know we didn't make it all the way through the book of Acts. It's a long book. That would have probably been impossible for us to do, but we did cover a lot of ground in our study this semester. And it's very fitting that we end in Acts chapter 16, and I think you'll see that as we look at it tonight, and you'll see a lot of themes that we've kind of hit on throughout this semester. Uh, But this chapter is very significant for lots of reasons in the book of Acts. And one of the main reasons is if you noticed and look down at your passage, if you have your sheet or look down at your Bible, you'll see an interesting, it kind of marks a turn in the book of Acts. And forever, Luke has been saying they, talking about Paul and Silas and all these other people. And then all of a sudden now, if you notice for the very first time, he starts using the word we. And so somewhere along Paul's second missionary journey, he picks up a group of folks, and apparently Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is with them. And the reason why that is significant is because from this point on in the book of Acts, we have an eyewitness account of how the gospel goes to the world, of how Christianity goes forth to different segments of the world. Tonight we're going to look at Acts chapter 16, but before we kind of dig into our passage, let me pray and ask God to help us. Father... Even in the passage that we are going to look at, we see that when you were at work in Lydia, that you actually had to open up her heart so that she could respond to the gospel. And what that tells us is that we are helpless on our own. And so we're helpless tonight for anything of lasting or eternal... um, value to happen without you coming and without you working through your spirit through the preaching of your word and so please come and minister to us and challenge us and change us and convict us of our sin but lead us to Jesus help us to see him and help us to see that no matter where we are tonight this is very fitting as we study this passage because it shows us that our greatest need is the gospel. Show us that. In Jesus' name, amen. I expect in a room this size that many of you, uh, and if not many, at least some of you, have had negative experiences with Christianity. You've had negative experiences with religion. And one of the most frustrating things that religious people tend to do is they tend to make people into cookie cutters. It's, they make people uh, in this tendency to cookie cutter people. You know what that's like. You may have felt that, and maybe you've gone to church, or maybe you've been to a campus ministry, and you walk in those doors and you feel like a project. You walk in and you feel like an object, not a subject. You know the difference, right? Right? An object is something that is acted upon, something that is used, something that is 
controlled or brought into your agenda. A subject, what is a subject? Well, a subject is something that you get to know. Something that you grow to love. Something that you study for its own intrinsic value. And tonight in our study, in Acts chapter 16, we see two case studies. And what's interesting is we really see three. The jailer at the end, but we don't have time to cover that. So we're going to look at two case studies. And what we're going to see is... Two women from wildly different backgrounds both come to faith in Jesus. Here's the main idea. Luke, through this passage, is showing us that Christianity has no preset modes. There's no cookie-cutter people in Christianity. But instead, Christianity comes and meets everyone at their point of their greatest need. And as always, I want to give credit where credit's due. Um, As I was studying, it was interesting, in my study this week, I was reading Keller on this passage. Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City. And then I went to my other guy, uh, John Stott, who's also a commentator and written much on the book of Acts. And I realized that Keller had basically you stop and then I was relieved because I was like there's nothing new under the sun and so but I still want to say that everything that I'm sharing with you tonight is stuff that I've gleaned that I've been taught from people who love Jesus and who are walking with Jesus and so that's no different tonight so I want to make sure I acknowledge that uh, before you but here's where we're going we're going to look at three things in this passage we're going to look at Lydia We're going to look at a slave girl, and then we're going to look at lessons. So Lydia, a slave girl, and then what can we learn from this passage? So let's look at number one, Lydia. Who was Lydia? Well, the first thing we know about Lydia, if you look at the passage, you see that she was from Thyatira. Now that probably means absolutely nothing to you that she was from Thyatira. So let me put it in your own language, in your own world, and give you some terms that you might understand. She was from Mountain Brook. She was from Highland Park. She was from Eastover. She was from Buckhead. Okay, so that's the community that she grew up in. But that's not all we know about Lydia. Look at verse 13. Not only was she from a great community, but she was very successful. She was a businesswoman. She was upper class. How do we know that? Well, she was a dealer in purple. And that was very significant in that day because if you sold purple or dealt in purple or bought purple, you were at the height of luxury in that day. It was very expensive and very beautiful. So here she is, okay? She was dealing purple and selling beautiful things to beautiful people. In other words, she was well off. And she would have been someone that maybe had moved from Buckhead or Highland Park to Oxford, Mississippi and opened up a high-end boutique on the square. That's who Lydia is. But she's not only a businesswoman and upper class, she's also a very moral and religious person. 
How do we see that? Well, the text tells us that she was a God-fearer. And we've talked about that a few times this semester, but a God-fearer was basically someone who was dabbling uh, in Christianity but hadn't gone all the way. They loved the morality of Judaism. They loved the Old Testament and the morals that they found there, but they were hesitant to go all the way and to fully convert to Christianity. And so here is Lydia, okay? She's a mover and a shaker. She's a winner. She would fit right in on the campus of Ole Miss. And every sorority on this campus would die to have Lydia in their sorority. But as great as she was, she still needed Jesus desperately. So how do we see the gospel come to her? How do we see the gospel come to Lydia? Well, the text kind of indicates, evidently, there was this, this group of God-fearing women who met on the Sabbath after Sunday worship service. They went to a place of prayer, and they had a small group. So Lydia basically came to Christ through a small group. So she's praying with these women, reading the Bible, and here come Paul and Silas and his crew, and they want to pray because they're on a missionary journey, and they stumble upon Lydia and these other women having a Bible study. And they start talking to them about Jesus and the gospel. And notice what happens. As Paul starts talking, the Lord opens up Lydia's heart so that she starts to pay attention. Some of your versions, the NIV says, respond to what Paul was actually saying. And the word pay attention, or the word respond, if, the, if you have the NIV, literally means to be attracted to. And so Lydia just wasn't convinced. She didn't have her ducks in a row and say, okay, this all makes sense, so I'm going to believe. There was something that was drawing her. It was an attraction to Christianity and to the gospel message. It was beautiful to her. It was wonderful to her. Why was it so wonderful to her? Well, Keller brings out this point and explains it like this. He said that Gentile God-fearers kind of struggled with two things. They struggled with leaving behind the emptiness of paganism in their former, former life, but then they also struggled as they came to the Bible and started looking at the Old Testament because they felt so weighed down by the law and by the morals that they found that were taught in the Old Testament. And they felt the burden of trying to save themselves through their good works. And if we're honest tonight, don't we kind of do that? I know I do. I mean, think about it. We kind of shuffle back and forth between the emptiness of living for ourselves to trying to save ourselves through our good works. And the problem is, is that neither one of those work, correct? In fact, either one of those, if we attempt to live for ourselves or to save ourselves through our own performance, leads to misery, leads you to actually hate the very thing that you're after. 
I tried it for many years. That's the way I lived most of my life, of trying to perform, and I end up hating Jesus and Christianity in the process. And it wasn't until I started to understand the gospel that I started to live free and actually love and be attracted to, like Lydia, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, because Paul comes and he says, that's not Christianity. It's not live for yourself, and it's not be perfect and perform and be a legalist, but the gospel comes and offers a third way, a better way. And when Paul set before her the third way of the gospel, she was attracted to it because Paul comes and he puts before her and he says, let me tell you about Jesus. And in this small group, he starts to say, you know the perfection that is crushing you? Jesus lived that life for you. That's why he had to be sinless. And though he were sinless, he went to the cross and he hung there and was crucified. And in doing so, he took the punishment and the sin that you deserve. And if you have faith in Jesus, you get all of his righteousness and he gets all of your sin. And when Lydia heard that, the light bulb went on because she said for the first time, Christianity has everything that I have ever wanted in life. Jesus is everything that I've been looking for. It all clicked. That's Lydia. And then secondly, in the passage, we see a slave girl. And it's no accident that Luke puts the story of this girl who's tormented right next to the story of Lydia. It's very intentional because he's revealing a huge contrast, isn't he? There could not be two women that are more opposite in all of the world than Lydia and then this slave girl mentioned in this passage. If Lydia's upper class, great community, boutique, high-end, selling rich things to rich people on the square, then who is this slave girl? Well, she's a crack addict. She's a prostitute. And she's being exploited by pimps in a crack house somewhere. That's the picture of who this is. How do we see that? Well, look at verse 16. The verse says that she had a spirit of divination. And what's interesting is that the Greek word there is spirit of python. So why didn't they put that in, in the English? Because you and I would have no clue what that meant and could care less. But the ancient readers knew exactly what that meant. The spirit of Python was someone, a group of people actually, that guarded the temple of Apollo in ancient Greek culture. And this group of people were known for their many different voices. And so if you're thinking right now, as you've read the story of how this girl is acting... If you're thinking, when you think about many different voices of the exorcist and the girl, and even if you haven't seen the movie, maybe the commercials, where she pops up out of the bed and she's shrieking, but she's a girl and she's not talking in a girl voice. You know, she's got this deep groan, this deep manly voice. If that's what you're thinking, that's exactly what you should be thinking. (laughs) Because that's exactly the picture here. She's bizarre. You and I would look at her, and if we ran into her, we would say she's crazy. 
We would say that she's mentally ill, but here's the trouble we have when we look at her. And here's this thing I struggled with in the initial reading in this passage. The only trouble is accounting for the fact that she knew things that she shouldn't have known. Do you notice that? She knows things based on who she is that she shouldn't have known. We'll get there, but how does the gospel come to her? We'll look at verses 17 and 18. The word crying out there literally means shrieking. And so as you get into the scene, let's elevate the crying out to shrieking, whatever that would sound like at the top of your lungs. And that's what this girl is doing. She's following around Paul and Silas and she's shrieking and crying out and screaming. What is she screaming to them? Very interesting, isn't it? She comes and says, these men are servants of the God Most High and they are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. That Jesus is the way of salvation. Now, pause the tape. Think about where we are in redemptive history. We're in the book of Acts. Christianity's just getting off the ground. These people didn't have a clue of what a missionary was. They didn't have a clue about people traveling around telling people about Jesus. They didn't know what a minister was. But she did. She knew. And she even knew that Jesus was the way that you are saved. She's telling the truth. And so then the question becomes, how do we account for that? And I think James chapter 2 helps us account for this. Remember in James chapter 2, James says, even the demons believe and they shudder. And the point James is making is that the devil knows a lot more about God than you and me. You see, the devil has accurate theology. He knows everything about Jesus. He knows the truth. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that he hates it. And see, that is exactly what's going on with this girl in this passage. She knows the truth, but yet she hates it. And some of you are saying you're connecting the dots already, and you're saying, okay, Jason, so you, what you're saying is this girl is demon-possessed. Are you kidding me? You mean you really believe that stuff? And the answer is yes. And you're naive if you don't. You see, scientific, a scientific worldview would come and say, there's got to be a scientific answer. And so if this girl is acting like this and something is going on, then there's got to be a scientific answer. There's something wrong sociologically with her or her social structure or there's something wrong with her psychologically. And so you initially go to, we need better counseling. We need more counseling. We need to change her social structure. And while those things might be helpful, the Bible comes and says, if that's all you've got, then you don't have a clue. You don't have a clue about the depth 
and how real evil is in the world. The Bible comes and says that there is an evil out there that is not natural. An evil that is real and so much deeper than my parents raised me a certain way and therefore that's why I do the bad things that I do in my life. You see, it's a lot worse than that. Because there is an evil lurking behind the scenes that we can't see. Ephesians chapter 6, remember Paul, says the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against out here one another. But the battle is against the powers and the principalities of darkness. Look at verse 18. Notice the emphasis here, very interesting. For many days this slave girl keeps shrieking and saying... Okay, so not just one day, not just two days, many days, whatever that might be in your mind, this girl is following around Paul and his group and saying to them, these men are servants of Jesus and they're telling you that Jesus is the way to be saved. And then look at how Paul responds. Doesn't say that he was just a little annoyed or simply annoyed says that he was greatly annoyed and then turns to them, turns to the girl and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I say to you, come out of her. Side note. Greatly annoyed. Think about that with me just for a second. This makes Paul look terrible. This makes Paul look impatient and uncaring. But you know what it does also in the process? It shows us that this is not a legend. It shows us that this is something that's, which some people would say that this is not something that's just made up or kind of a a campaign, a marketing ploy or campaign to kind of get Christianity off the ground early on, which people have said. It can't be that. Because if it was something made up or if it was a legend, what would you say? You wouldn't say Paul's greatly annoyed. You might say something like this. Paul, with deep compassion in his heart, turns and looks at this girl weeping and says, come to Jesus and meet, get all of your needs met. I mean, that's something you would say if you're trying to promote something. But you would never say he was greatly annoyed. You would never point out the bad things. And you see, all throughout the Bible, one of the ways we know that these accounts are authentic and real and true is because the Bible doesn't attempt to cover up the bad stuff. And if it was just a legend or something someone was making up to promote itself... They would never say things like this. Back to the passage. Could there be two different, more different stories than the ones we've just looked at? And I want you to see how the gospel takes these wildly different people from two ends of the spectrum and comes to them at totally different points in their life and meets them in their greatest need. What did Lydia need? Well, she needed a Bible study. 
She needed someone to sit down with her and to talk to her about Jesus. This girl, Keller says, needed a power encounter. The girl needed something rational. Lydia needed something rational. The girl needed something powerful. Lydia was a good person, and she needed someone to show her that Jesus actually uh, forgave her of her self-righteousness and her attempts to be good, that she could never be good enough. The girl needed someone to say, you need a new master, that you're enslaved. And you need Jesus because he's the only one that can break you out of your bondage and truly free you. We've seen Lydia. We looked at the slave girl. And then lastly, let's look at the lessons and things that we can learn from our passage tonight. Two really quick points of application. Number one is, I think this passage teaches us that the gospel cannot be canned. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm not saying that you don't have gospel summaries that you can go and take to people and use as you share with people. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you've been here and you've looked and listened the last few weeks particularly, that all throughout the Bible we have the early believers and Christians coming and they're very sensitive to people. They're very sensitive to people as individuals and the differences that exist among them, and that affects the way they witness to them and talk to them about the gospel. Jesus does the same thing. Look throughout the gospels. Jesus met people where they were, at the point of their greatest need. And so what that tells us is that when we come to folks with our prepackaged canned presentations that were not being like Jesus. And so what we learn, and I think an application is, let's stop trying to bring people into our agenda as we talk about Christ and share the gospel and love people. Instead of trying to bring people into our agenda and push our agenda... Instead, what if we just simply tried to get to know people? What if we started there and started to get to know people and learn about their passions and their loves and their dreams and their hopes and the things that keep them up at night and the things that they're struggling with? You see, when we start there, you know what happens? You end up being a way more effective minister and a way better friend, and a way better Christian. Secondly, what do we learn? What's a lesson? What's pretty obvious, but we learn that the gospel's for everyone. John Stott says it well, and he says, racially, socially, and psychologically, they were worlds apart. And yet, both of these people were changed by the same gospel and welcomed into the same church. Did you hear that? See, that's the beauty of Christianity, isn't it? Changed by the same gospel, welcomed into the same church. Because this passage shows us, no matter where you are tonight, 
whether you've never been better and you're doing great spiritually or, when, or whether you've never been further away from the kingdom of God and from Jesus, the need is the same. We all need an encounter with Jesus tonight, the Bible says. Which is why at RUF, week after week after week, we seek to hold up Christ and Him crucified. In the Gospel, we talk about that a lot. Why? Because if this passage shows us and just reiterates the need to do that because it shows us that the Gospel is what everyone needs. No matter where they're coming from, and no matter what they're struggling with. Look at how different these women are. One rich, one poor. One owns a, bu- a boutique, the other one a slave girl. One very moral and good, the other one a prostitute and crack addict. And yet Jesus meets them and saves them and changes their life. Here's the point. Friends, there is no such thing as a Christian type. The gospel blows those categories. Real Christianity blows those categories because Christianity is so true that it says that Jesus can fill whatever your need is right now at this moment. Lydia was a dealer in purple. And when she heard the gospel presented to her, Jesus became more beautiful to her. Do you remember when Jesus was being killed and beaten and crucified? Do you remember what he was clothed in by the soldiers? Purple. He was wearing the most precious, beautiful garments of his day. And he was looking his ugliest. Isaiah 52 and 53 says that he was hard to look at. Because he was so beaten and so bruised and so swollen. And he had this crown of thorns pressed into his skull so deeply that his face was just a sheet of blood running down it. But Lydia, you know what she realized? And what I hope you and I realize tonight at the end of another year is that there is nothing more beautiful than a Savior that loses His beauty for you. That there's nothing more glorious than a King who loses His glory For you. You see, Jesus was beautiful enough for Lydia. And he was powerful enough for a slave girl. What do you need tonight? Whatever you need, Jesus is able to meet it. And the question as we end our year is will you come to Him and receive His grace and receive His mercy and let Him wrap His arms around you and love you and forgive you and change you? That's an invitation. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the message of this passage, and I pray that we would um, we would live it out. That you would help us to see that our greatest need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter how good we think we are, or how bad we think we are, we all need Jesus. Father, would you come and open up our hearts as I prayed earlier. Draw. There's people here that don't know you. Pray that you would draw them to yourself. I pray that you would come and work in our hearts and challenge and convict and change and make Jesus more beautiful to us and help us to see that whatever our need is, the gospel meets it. And that's the beauty of Christianity. It comes and fulfills all of our longings in our heart because it is so true and so real. In Jesus' name, amen.